In this episode of When Does It Get Fun, we talk about terrible writing in video games, Morpheus being cool in the Matrix, and Miyazaki's special touch. All that and more, coming here. When, when, when does it get fun? When does it get fun? Guys, how many times have you been playing a video game and the writing just hasn't been up to scratch? How was that? Is that good? First of all, loved the new podcast voice. <laughs> you like the YouTube? That is, I think that's legitimately like how my voice would end up if I tried to do. When I did, um, I made a really stupid video that nobody watched where I was making fun of, um, uh, you know, like those movie rating videos or like top 10. Oh, I saw that video. You were doing the curse words, right? Yeah, yeah. Because they just had that new policy for YouTube. So I made some really stupid sort of parody kind of video and that and in that video you can hear what my youtube voice would be like if i was going to do a youtube voice because i'm for it i was making fun of terrible youtube voices i think you should video. you got to try it out you should do a whole episode like it and then we'll know i just try it out i think i have enough things to work on on myself that i don't want to add that episode of the podcast to my list what like, if i let you use what's gaming gamers as your catchphrase for the entirety of that episode i think we both know i'm just gonna say it anyway so. <laughs> okay but yeah you uh to transition not smoothly you really wanted to like we we talked a little bit about on the last episode of the podcast like i feel like we touched on shitty video game writing a little bit uh did we yeah we did Oh, okay. You you started talking about it, and then and then I've, you were like, after the podcast, you were like, "Hey, let's really let's dig into this in this one." So here we are. I have no memory of that. <laughs> really? You that know, makes sense. It adds up. This would have been thirty seconds ago. I remember <laughs> the after the podcast talking about yeah, yeah. how I really want to do it, but I don't remember talking about it on the episode. All right. Well, maybe I did. Uh. I mean, do you do you have specific examples? I feel like what I was saying to you was that I'm generally pretty good, I think, at picking games out that I like, uh, like that I'm going to enjoy playing. And I, I don't play too many games that I hate or that I, that I don't enjoy. I'm generally pretty decent at that. Uh, so I tend to avoid, I think, a lot of really terrible video game writing. But it sounds like you've had some, uh, some rough experiences i have on the one hand i have to acknowledge that i'm incredibly picky about it more so than almost anybody and i think it's because it's primarily like it's it's my primary hobby and i i think that would be true of anything like if your primary hobby was hockey and then you heard people talking about hockey and they had like just slightly You'd be really mad about like the one nhl game that exists <laughs> <laughs> that's not how you hit the puck yeah like they're just quoting wayne gretzky's like career stats and they're just slightly wrong and it really gets to you like in a movie that would or get something. to me i love not only do i love wayne gretzky i i haven't really seen him play all that much i'll be honest but his stats are really the thing that i love about him because <laughs> they're unbelievable they are the, he has more assists than the next best player has goals in the game <laughs> that is insane that is absolutely insane and i would be annoyed if they got that stat wrong in the nhl game 
It's amazing. It's there's the one stat I can't remember the specifics, so I'm gonna piss off all the hockey fans. But there's the one that's like the most career points uh, scored by brothers. Mm-hmm. And there's like whatever whoever whatever two brothers are in second place, and then Wayne Gretzky and his brother are like crushing them. Except Wayne Gretzky's brother has like four points career wide. <laughs> yeah, so it's really just Wayne Gretzky has more points career points than than the next like pair the next highest pair it is crazy yeah i'm definitely gonna be way 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 more picky because i've gotten too deep into do especially like screenwriting so in moments of an exchange of dialogue in a game or just story beats it's gonna really rub me the wrong way when they do stuff that i don't like whereas the average person just you know wouldn't be bothered by it so i'll come down pretty hard on them but it's probably just like, oh, this could have been better, and it's not really that bad. But for me, I'll just it takes me right out of the game, and I'm like, oh my god, mm-hmm. this is horrible. But I think the reason I wanted to talk about it is just one of my pet peeves, and I'm finding out on this podcast that I have like maybe 15,000, but definitely one of my foremost pet peeves is just people who don't have respect for either a technical skill or an art form and they assume that they can just do it without putting any of the work into learning how to do it because they just don't get how hard it is. And mm-hmm. you see it more for some things than others. Like fucking nobody sees figure skating and they're like, oh, I could do that. Like we, we, you can tell, you just look at figure skating and you're like, wow, I could never do that. You might even overestimate the difficulty, although probably still not because it's just incredibly hard. But eh. you'll see things. Uh, I can do it. <laughs> How could it be? Do you even have ice where you're from? I'm suspicious. We have ice rinks. I've been ice skating. <laughs> uh, actually, I mean, what's interesting is I used to rollerblade as a kid, like when I was like I don't know eight 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 to ten. I don't know around that that age. I used to rollerblade all the time. I fucking love rollerblading. Never touched them for like fifteen years or something. And then my friends were like, "Hey, we're going like ice skating," and we went to this ice rink, and I could just ice skate. Because I could rollerblade, like, when I was a kid. I just had the muscle memory. I could just ice skate, like, really well because oh, wow. I rollerbladed so much. It was interesting. That actually is very interesting. We had a bunch yeah. of, like, growing up in Canada, the, we'd have field trips just all throughout school where you just go to the skating rink and you all skate. So I never skated in my free time, but there would have been just tons of mandatory field trips where I would have been doing it. And this is a pointless tangent. I thought you, like, just wore them instead of shoes. In <laughs> well it's, i mean yeah if you, maybe if you live in ottawa and you're going down the canal to work you'll, you'll skate to work yeah that sounds dope skating to work it would be great although i think the canal didn't freeze enough last year for people to be able to skate on it or something i i forget some worrying statistic anyway, we're getting a little off topic. everything but yeah anyway <laughs> anyway yeah the, the point is you would never do it for something like figure skating But you'll see it all the time for other things, especially kind of more creative art forms. And one of the number one ones is like you start a band and you would never just in your band that you're hoping takes off realize, oh, we don't have a guitarist. And you have someone who's never played guitar and they're like, "Ah, I'll do the guitar. You would never see that. But you will see like, oh, we don't we need lyrics. And you'll just have a rando in the band be like, "Ah, I'll write the lyrics. Like, how hard could it be? And at like no point in their life have they ever looked into the art form of lyricism or uh, like poetry. 
as as a way to get into it. I'm not saying lyrics or poetry, they're very different thing, but but they're just there's no education has happened, no practice, no intrigue in the hobby. And it's not like they're thinking, oh, I would love to learn all the complexities of this and spend several years getting good at it. They're just like, I'll just write lyrics and they'll be fine. And you, and that bothers me completely as somebody who likes to write. And I really love good lyricism and music. And I really like good writing in movies and games. That really bothers me because it feels like we're just not understanding or acknowledging how difficult it is to get good at that art form. And so when I'm playing a video game and there's like just really, really bad writing, and I can tell that it's because whatever solo dev or small team made the game, somebody on the team was like, we need a story. And they're like, oh, I'll write a story. How hard could it be? And it turns out it's incredibly hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I tend to grade things pretty harshly when I see that happening. Because it's like, there are so many writers out there too who would love to write for your game, whether paid or even just they're so passionate about writing, they just love to be a part of the team and write for the game and get to get to flex that muscle. Yeah, And they're missing out on these opportunities because people don't respect that it's actually something you need to spend a lot of time to get good at and they just try to do it themselves and then you can tell immediately it just sucks Ooh, it's bad well, i think for me also as somebody like uh i mean i've also written as a hobby a lot mm-hmm. and uh i write as a job and i do editing as a job uh i think editing is something that bothers me just as much like <laughs> when like indie games are obviously a, it's a much bigger problem for them but you'll see them with like and a lot of the time look it's probably a developer where it's like english is a second language or something and it's like very obvious in a lot of cases um but games where they haven't bothered to like edit their text or whatever and <laughs> you can just see a bunch of spelling mistakes and like <laughs> awkward grammatical errors and like syntax that doesn't make sense and and stuff like that it's it immediately takes me out of the game completely and like ruins my experience for you know like the 30 seconds that it's bothering me for that that's actually something that i think is interesting because i i have a hard time imagining being in a headspace where i wouldn't be really turned off by frequent typos in like mm-hmm. a text-based dialogue game but there there have to be people out there who don't notice or notice and just don't care. And it's like, man, I wish I was those people. Because <laughs> it's it's way it's weighted completely unfairly, where it should be like, oh whoops, they forgot an apostrophe and the word won't, you know? And it affects nothing. But it really does like people are really bad at possessives, man. Like they put apostrophes in, in plurals all the time. Drives me nuts. And again, <laughs> this isn't this isn't pedantry, really, for the sake of pedantry. It's not like, oh, I'm mad that this person can't spell. They're an idiot, and therefore I'm I'm upset. It's no, because no. it hits the wrong part of my brain. So I'm I'm playing this game, and I'm meant to be immersed in whatever sort of story they're creating. But then this thing happens where I'm like, it hits the analytical part of my brain, and I'm like, oh, they've they've messed this up. And, like, obviously, the character isn't making the grammatical error in the game. It's not something that's occurring in the world. It's, like, it's there because the developer fucked up. And now I'm realizing there's a developer. And now I'm outside of the game. Yeah. So, like, that's why I guess it bugs me. If it's, like, obviously there are certain scenarios where people will deliberately put in 
like maybe it's a letter from a character who's meant to be semi-literate or something and oh sure the mistakes are deliberate and then i think in those instances you're like oh there's a spelling mistake but i think it's supposed to be there because it's consistent with the rest of the writing and and all the rest of the dialogue is like written out correctly so in those instances i feel like it doesn't take me out of the game so it really is just a case of like me going from one part of my brain to the other part of my brain when I don't want to. Yeah, and if, I mean, if there was, if you're an animator and you saw animation errors in a game, it would really take you out of it. And someone might be more willing to fix that. They go, oh crap, did we drop a few frames in that animation? That does look choppy. We'll fit, like it's a bug, we gotta fix that. And, you know, it's kind of a pressing issue. But sometimes I feel like if you go complaining about mechanical errors or spelling errors and dialogue, then people kind of act like you're being hoity-toity about it. But I think animation would be even more niche. I bet there's so much shitty animation stuff that I don't notice. But an animator oh. would be like, oh, like they fucked this up, like this frame skips, or like you can see here that like the leg moves in a way where it shouldn't move or like couldn't physically move that way, like it should be animated like this. Yeah. Or there's interpolation when it would be much better to have like proper frames for each part of the animation stuff like that like there must be tons of stuff in game development that i would never notice but but yeah like you say because we both have a background in writing we're probably like much more likely to notice the writing stuff that that other people aren't going to notice totally and i remember somebody posting a trailer for their game and uh one of the comments being like you got to clean up these animations because you've got like foot sliding happening everywhere and I remember thinking like, man, I've never even considered that. It's just not something that I would be looking out for. But now that it's been pointed out to me, I'm noticing that in these walk cycles, just feet are sliding all the time. Like they're not, the characters aren't moving fast enough to keep up with their, their walk cycle. So it looks like they're mm -hmm. on ice. And, but I just think that what I'm saying is sometimes it feels, this is just how it feels. So I could be wrong. Maybe statistically this isn't happening, but it feels like, when you point out errors like that, they're taken very seriously. Although maybe that one's a little more subjective with how much it matters. But yeah, you see an art error or a texture's misaligned in a doom wad or something. And it's easier to get that quantified as sort of like, oh yeah, that's a mistake, I'll fix it. Whereas like if the writing is really fucking bad, <laughs> it's just people kind of wave well, it off like it's subjective or... This is different important. there, right? You're not talking about, like, you're talking about structural stuff as opposed to, like, you're talking about writing being bad as in, why does the character make this decision when it's inconsistent with their character or, you know, those types of things as opposed to what I'm talking about. Because I think people are pretty likely to fix spelling mistakes and stuff because they're easy to fix. Yeah, I, I muddied the waters there. And they're obvious errors. Accident. Yeah. Yeah, so I think... Yeah, to, like, recontextualize, I think you're talking more in the case of, like, well, like, this dialogue is, like, really stagnant and these, like, they're just talking heads or whatever and, like, those types of things. It I think probably because, it, A, people get defensive about mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and, B, to them it's, like, we talk about this a million times on the podcast, but, like, you when you're in that headspace of, I'm definitely going to keep this stuff because I like this stuff. And then here's the stuff I want to hear critique on. There are definitely people who <laughs> put everything into the basket of, I'm not going to listen to critique on this because I like it. And that's all that matters kind of thing. And that yeah. happens a lot with writing. And it's a big mistake to fall into that. 
like the the fuck you i'm not changing your mentality yeah i think yeah uh, it's difficult for a lot of people to break down elements of their writing that should be like malleable i suppose totally and yeah sorry for misspeaking i i was talking about like like actual objective errors i about like the spelling mistakes and i just i meant mm-hmm. a, 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 in that moment that just like when you point out any kind of other mistake it's like oh thank you but when you point out spelling mistakes i kind of feel like people start thinking that like you're being a grammar nazi you know like just the fact that that's really? a derogatory term I, that's how i feel sometimes but i'm it's only how i'm feeling about it so that could just be my own like self-conscious in those moments but you're you're totally i'd love to change gears onto like the actual structural errors and things of that nature but you're right that that is already more subjective and something that people are going to be more personally invested in and like this is my baby this is my story i really believe in this so when you come along and you're like this story is really boring or it doesn't make sense, you know, and then it's Great like they, they don't want to hear that, you know. Well, <laughs> you might be able to. Story's really ex- boring. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great critique. Just full stop. And then... <laughs> the story sucks. Throw it out. Start over. Hire a writer. Wow, I'm really glad I got you to uh, come in and play test for me. So... <laughs> That'll be great. Invaluable feedback as always. Yeah, I, I still I'll reiterate that I'm a fan of that feedback. You just have to bring also with it. Here's why I feel that way. And what I think the problem is. I think this is really boring is useful if you have a thousand people giving you feedback, but it's useless if you have five people giving you feedback. Uh, yeah, if that's if that's where the sentence ends, right? If you're like, it's boring, yeah, yeah. then that's useless. I feel like that can be useful if, you know, you're having your game tested by like a hundred people or whatever, and 75 of them tell you this is boring. Oh, then yeah. you probably got a problem. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's just... still not very useful overall, but it gives right. you like a general idea. But if you have five people who are meant to give you detailed feedback, just tell you it's boring, then yeah, because you have to do all the work yourself now. You have to figure out like, okay, well, what could be boring? Why are they feeling this way? Whereas if they come along and they're like, I think this is kind of a little boring because there's there's no conflict at any point in the story. You just have this guy here and he gets hungry, so he goes to the fridge and he eats uh, the burrito that's in the fridge. And uh, that's the whole story. And it's like, you know, nothing happens, you know? Sounds good to me. <laughs> I feel like very satisfying conclusion. The guy gets the burrito, gets to eat it. It's solidly it structured. all the story beats, yeah. That's for sure, yeah. The fridge is a great middle for the, for the story. <laughs> yeah, the fridge is the... Going into the fridge, that's the meeting with the goddess that happens on step six of the story, Dan Harmon's story circle or... However, it's structured. I, I forget. Oh man, the seven we're going off plots, the rails. You know, blah yep. blah blah. Yeah, but I guess uh, so. To, to I guess you asked earlier, like, do I have any specific examples? And I kind of want to try not to provide specific examples because it feels too much. Especially since the examples I would be giving you would be like small indie games. Mm-hmm. And though I think it is fair to critique the work. I also worry that like if I'm about to be very harsh because I really feel strongly about this super specific art form, then I'd I'd rather kind of, you know, keep keep the people out of talk it. Talk about Star things. Wars. Yeah, sure. We could just talk about Star Wars. But like, I think that first of all, like I've found a couple Kickstarter campaigns before where 
they'll be they're pitching their game and one of the main things they're pitching about their game is the story let's say it's an rpg so it's going to be really story heavy so they're trying to sell you on the story and when you read the story and it's just like the most bland by the numbers uh fantasy story you've heard a thousand times before where i mean that's not a mistake but it's just kind of a pet peeve that it's like man can we do something different that that'll bother me if uh i feel like the writing's not respecting my time you know dialogue's going on way too long that'll bother me all the subjective things get to me enough already is mm-hmm. how strong the bias is so when you start finding actual things that are closer to true errors and they made it into the game and they almost certainly only are in the game because somebody didn't want to pay a writer or thought that writing's easy and they can do it themselves. Then man, man, it turns me off. It's really, I feel like it's really, it's a challenging topic to talk about when it's like what, you know, if the overarching question is like, well, what is good storytelling in a video game? Yeah, there are just there are a lot of facets to that, and there are a lot of problems you can have with writing that are completely different from one another. Like when you're saying like, "Oh, they're ship," they're talking about this game, and like one of the major selling points is the story. I guess what you're talking about there is like the plot, like the overarching main story beats of like the you know your player character is in like a a dark world, and a fog's taken over the world, and then you got to do this and this like these are the huge sort of overarching elements of the game and then like if they're really generic then the story can seem boring from the outset but then maybe like all of the all the dialogue between npcs is interesting and you realize that like 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 FromSoft uses like a lot of the same elements throughout their games. For instance, <laughs> I mean, I, the fog is kind of a, an example that they use all the fucking time. Bloodborne's got fog in it. Lost Kingdoms, this game they made for the GameCube, has a fog in it. I think that Dark Souls like has you know they'll have like a blight or like something very similar throughout them. So you might think like, well, here's generic plot elements that I've heard of a million times. But then it's like you can go you can drill down in that and then if the you know like the dialogue with your npcs is interesting and the story beats it interesting and there's good drama in between and like things happen throughout the story that's unique enough that makes the story stand out from the 20,000 other rpgs that have a blight on the land and a big evil you have to kill then it doesn't matter that sort of the plot elements are generic (laughs) but there are a lot of games where, like, I think you can get away with a generic plot, but you can't really get away with the the sort of lower level stuff being generic, in my opinion. At least for me. Like a, like a story where all of the NPC dialogue is shit that you've heard before, <laughs> and they're yeah. just, or, or the characters don't seem differentiated from one another, which, I mean, they call it talking heads where it just sounds like it's the writer talking to themselves over and over again because they haven't sort of given a different voice to <laughs> to the characters like that's a real annoyance for me because uh and and for a lot of people who maybe even haven't heard that term before but it's so noticeable because uh you it gives you like this weird peek behind the curtain thing of like <laughs> well now I I'm just hearing the writer's perspective on this thing 
and now he's talking to himself so that he can continue this conversation about this thing that he wants to talk about or whatever. And uh, th- I feel like there's a lot of like annoyances with uh, with dialogue that can occur uh, that I think makes it way more problematic than if sort of the major plot elements are like a little bit generic. Yeah, it's it's the moment to moment bits the small pieces that will wear you down because you can't really make an informed decision about was this did this story work until you're mostly done the game you know it's something i mean you could be bored Mm. ahead of time but it's more so that you look back at it and you go wow that was a really bland terrible story like nothing interesting or surprising happened i knew it was going to happen every step of the way uh where so it's it's not likely to annoy you going through unless you're like really noticing actively like this is probably going to happen next and then it happens next and and then it is a moment to moment thing that's bothering you but yeah it's the dialogue and things of that nature that are gonna really pick away at your enjoyment and and distract you in that same way that pardon me distract you in the same way that those spelling errors do where it's pulling it to a different side of your brain where now you're just distracted by like this is not how this dialogue should be going right now mm-hmm. and i think i'm probably making a mistake in like not using any specific examples because how else do we talk about it right so i'm gonna i'm gonna try to use some specific examples and i'm and and i'll try to use like games that i think are popular and successful games too because there's there's value in them they're they're very good games you know but just like here here's some examples of the problems we're talking about um so like one of the things that i really one of the things that really grates me, as I said, is like not respecting the player's time. And sometimes I'll notice in games that have multiple characters, the writer will have this like everybody needs to talk syndrome. Yeah, huge like, in RPGs. All the time. Like we just can't like if there's five people on the team and some characters like, oh, hello, I'm the NPC from the town. Hi. Hello. How are you? How you doing? Like everybody has to say hello differently. And just and oh man. So one of the perfect examples is otherwise a great game. I don't mean to rag on it. We're just complaining about one tiny facet of it. Um, Bug Fables. If you've ever played Bug Fables, it's uh it's just Paper Mario. They love Paper Mario and they were, I guess, upset that Nintendo abandoned Paper Mario and changed it completely and that you can't play classic Paper Mario games anymore. So they're like, we'll just make Paper Mario. So it's beat by beat. It is an absolute just reskin of Paper Mario. That's what they were going for. We could have a whole conversation about whether or not that's like artistically merited, I guess. But they achieved it. They did a great job with recreating that genre of game. So that's great. But you walk around with a team of three playable characters. And oh my God, every time you talk to fucking anybody, all (laughs) three people... Need to talk. It's crazy. I remember this moment where like, I mean, I'm sure it's not every time, but it's enough times that it really bothers me. There's a moment where you find this like secret underground bar. I'm losing my voice a little bit. There's, There's a time where you find this little secret underground bar. And when you get down in there, there's like a secure, a bouncer bug. Everybody's bugs in this game. There's a bouncer who notices the B character in your party. And uh, and her name's... Her name's either Vi or V. It might be pronounced V because she's a B. But he's like, oh, V, you better not cause any trouble here. And then she says something like, oh, I know, I know. I'm not going to cause any trouble. And then a second character is like, don't worry, we'll keep an eye on her. And then a third character is like, you can trust us. We'll make sure nothing happens. And then the bouncer again is like, okay, well, you better. And then another character is like, no worries. 
And it just like it's like it's like six or seven dialogue bubbles. It could have been one and it should have been one. It should have just been the bouncer saying something like, oh, Vi, don't you be causing a ruckus down here. And then that's you're good. You just move on. Uh, Vi doesn't even need to respond. She could, but she doesn't need to. But you have all of the contextual information from that interaction just from that guy speaking. But I think the amateur writer is going to go, oh, my God, everybody needs to talk here. And then they do. Well, it's also I feel like you get like. I don't know. You get like link later syndrome or something where it's like, man, I really want to sound as naturalistic as possible in my dialogue. And then you're like, well, in real life, like if someone was saying that, then like a bunch of people would probably like they'd all talk about it. Like they'd probably have something to say, even if it's just no worries. So they'll like you get into this weird, like performative thing of, well, to be as naturalistic as possible, everyone's just got to say something that's kind of nothingy. And that's how real conversations happen in, in the real world. So that's how my dialogue should be. Yeah. But like a lot of the time, even if you're being naturalistic, the dialogue still needs to be like truncated down from like what real people would say, especially in a video game. Because like you said, at the end of the day, especially if it's dialogue boxes, you're, you're kind of just like wasting the player's time a little bit. Yeah, because you're not it's not like a movie where it's a passive piece of entertainment where you're supposed to just be along for the ride. Like you're the, the video game is active. You're wanting to be doing things as the player. So the more time you spend not doing those things, the more likely it is to kind of be off putting that it's it's wasting your time. And then like any famously good piece of writing or in all your favorite movies, you're probably just not realizing how truncated not you, but anybody how truncated the dialogue is, you know, there's a few memes about it. Like nobody says goodbye when they end their phone call. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You just hang up the phone. And so when we notice little things like that, we can kind of poke fun at it, but it's because if they said bye at the end of every phone call, like it would be really jarring and annoying depending on how many phone calls, like it would take you out of it. It's just not, it's extraneous dialogue. It doesn't need to be there. And anybody who knows what they're doing is going to cut that stuff uh, or you have to do it everywhere and it all adds up and it's it's just it's just like wrong feels like too strong of a word, but it's it's probably not going to end up going how you think it's going to go. Like it might not feel very natural and oh, wow, they nailed how a real life conversation feels here. It's probably just going to feel weird and jilted and awkward. And so I, I you're probably right that, you know, in this Bug Fables example, they're just like. If this were really happening, what would these characters say here and who would talk? And they're trying to emulate that and they're forgetting maybe that it's not really happening and it doesn't need to emulate a scenario where it's really happening, right? It's just what information are you giving to the player? What's the character moment you're trying to establish? We're trying to establish that, you know, this Vi character has been here before, maybe has a bit of a dark streak or a temper or whatever led to the problem. And, you know, like, that's a fun little character moment that, oh, maybe I'll find out about that later. So it, it, that to me is sullied and ruined if you're going to drag it out for seven <laughs> wow. dialogue boxes. You sullied. Know? You heard it here. Okay, yeah, it's yeah, sullied. Well, <laughs> what's funny, I'll give you the opposing example, though. Okay. Uh, and it rela relates back to Seinfeld. It's almost perfect. Uh, Larry David always said that when they were writing Seinfeld, like, he hated watching sitcoms where they would tell these hilarious jokes and then nobody would laugh at each other's jokes. <laughs> he said it was always really weird to him how, like, you watch 
friends or something and someone says something that's like supposed to be funny but nobody laughs at any of the jokes which it like in seinfeld they don't laugh at everything but they'll laugh at each other's jokes if like they make each other laugh and stuff and it adds to like their friendship and makes it feel like like more real people in a real world kind of thing i think so there are instances where like I think sometimes you can take those kind of naturalistic elements and inject them in in useful ways, but yeah, it's de- it can be a bit of a trap, like naturalistic writing, I think. Definitely. And I think part of that comes down to, like, are you doing it intentionally for a very specific purpose and in small doses only for, you know, the moments that you need it? Or are you feeling beholden to it? You know, you're like, we have to do this this way because this is how it would go in real life, whether it's creating a better product or not you know and that's all a big mess and and that's part of what makes it such a challenging art form and like even as opinionated as i am i can't tell you the number of times that i'll sit down and i'll I'll write a couple pages for you know a, a script i'm working on and then i read those back a week later and i'm like what the fuck this is terrible <laughs> why why would i do it this way this is oh man like just cringy lines or I didn't make something clear and what someone was asking about or just really basic mistakes. Like it's hard. You have to go over it several times. Mm-hmm. Even in my favorite movies, there's probably lines that the writer would look at and be like, oh man, I messed that up. I, I should have done a different thing. Well, I brought up Linklater because like I generally like Linklater. Like I like his older stuff. Like I love Days and Confused, one of my favorite movies probably. And then, you know, uh, I can't remember the first movie he made, but I, I quite like that too, which is probably one of his most naturalistic movies. But, like, Boyhood, I just, I couldn't get into Boyhood. It felt like that movie was, like, so conceptual, and it was, like, all based around, okay, like, I I have this cool idea where, like, what if everybody was, like, actually aged, and it's the actual actors 20 years later or whatever. Yeah. And that was the whole film to me. <laughs> and then, because, like, so much of the dialogue is improv, uh, they just talk about fucking nothing in these scenes, which is fine in a lot of Linklater stuff, but there's semi-scripted stuff usually to push, like, the characters in the right direction of, like, summarizing a scene or adding, contributing something (laughs) to the plot or whatever. But there was just a lot in Boyhood of, like, them... They weren't, like, you know, trained improv actors or anything. Like, it's not like Curb, where you get people on... They're improvising the scenes, but they have built-in, like fundamentals in terms of how to drive a scene improvisationally that like the kid in boyhood doesn't necessarily have i guess so there's just like a lot of (laughs) rambling bullshit that really like adds up to nothing in that movie i feel like yeah and i I think it's also important to say that there there are times where doing something like that is absolutely the right call and it's going to end up with a very fresh feeling unique piece of art be- because you're doing it the way that you're technically not supposed to you know oh, of and course you, i mean just, that's how Linklater, yeah got famous in the first place yeah you're just, you're mining a different sort of uh entertainment or art out of this thing by purposefully ignoring the rules and the way we normally do it the problem only really comes in when you're shirking the rules not for a great reason, but just because you you don't know them or you haven't considered the effect of doing it one way or the other. And we have them for a reason. Like film dialogue is really stylized and not very natural most of the time. 
because that results in a more entertaining, tighter movie most of the time. And if you just let characters wax on about whatever and get distracted in mid-conversation like they would in real life, you just get a huge bore fest and, and people don't like your movie. Well, it's also because dialogue is supposed to drive character development. It's supposed to give you background on the characters. It's supposed to tell you about their idiosyncrasies. It's supposed to drive the plot at the same time. Like dialogue is supposed to be doing a lot of different things under the hood and it's got to do it all while people don't notice that it's happening, which is why I think video games have like a really unique problem when it comes to dialogue, like writing dialogue for film, really difficult, obviously, but writing dialogue for a video game, I think is like, and actually making it good is probably even more difficult because you need to drive the player to the correct places and you also a lot of the time you've got to explain gameplay mechanics like what they need to be doing in the game world uh at the same time through dialogue while making it not sound like you're just playing a video game yeah that's a a lot of the time is impossible (laughs) yeah and also you're like you're intruding like in a film, dialogue's part of what you're doing, and that's what people are there for. Some movies are just dialogue. Like Aaron Sorkin's joke that his movies are just people talking in rooms. That's the whole movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it works. But in a video game, like there's always that concern that maybe the player is really hoping to get back to the action right now. So you're you're coming in having to prove yourself already and like like prove that you are making good use of the time and that they wouldn't rather be like going and kicking chickens in the village right now and they want to hear what Mm -hmm. you're talking about um yeah the thing that's interesting if i can get really pet peevy but the tutorialization thing is a great example where yeah probably almost nobody cares unless you're really pet peevy like me and this is your main hobby then you're going to notice. But I, I was watching somebody stream some Steam Next Fest games, and I, I don't even remember the game that they were looking at at the time. But it was a, the perfect example of what you're talking about, where you want to talk about game controls and concepts to the player, but ideally not make it sound like you're breaking the fourth wall, right? Mm-hmm. You want that sort of smoothness of... Uh, of information transfer and you're not taking them out of the experience so there was a line of dialogue i remembered in a game somebody was playing where it's part of the tutorial and this character shows up and they're like uh you know hello and blah 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 some some backstory some lore and then they said and i quote let me teach you how to fight during an encounter and to me that's so silly because it's like it's it's risking being meta by having the words during an encounter because like i know what that is as an as a player you know if this is like a roguelite style thing like a slay the spire where you're going up a map and there's like uh rest sites and you know elites you know so we're calling battles encounters like obviously that word has significance to me but it feels weird that that word would have significance to the character and the game and it's completely unnecessary because you don't have to say, let me teach you how to fight during an encounter. They could have just said, let me teach you how to fight. And then there's no fourth wall breaking whatsoever. That's a totally normal thing for somebody to say in the world of the game. Just, you know, let me teach you how to fight. Let me teach you how to defend yourself. Right. And there's no need for this additional information that like you fight during encounters. 
Like that's just not important information. So it's little things like that that you see that again, it's so minor. And I'm not gonna be like, oh, this person doesn't know what they're doing. But I, I'll see those and they'll take me out of it like a spelling mistake would. Where I'm like, yeah. oh, I don't think they really looked this over closely enough to realize that first of all, this line could be like half as long. So if you're making that quote unquote mistake all the time, then you have twice as much dialogue as you need. So it adds up quick. But also you're breaking the fourth wall, I think, by accident. And you don't need to at all. You could just say, let me teach you how to fight and then go into the tutorial. And everything's kind of preserved and sacred. So things like that I notice all the time. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought it up. And it's, it's just there's little notes like that everywhere that you're not thinking about unless you do it all the time. Like you're writing for games or TV shows or movies or something. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. At, like at a certain point, you need to teach the player mechanics like a yeah, lot of the time. And totally. There aren't a lot of good ways around it. Like uh, once again, everyone's going to be really surprised. I'm talking about Dark Souls again. Um, Which game? Uh, Dark Souls Dark? <laughs> um, Is that a racing but game? But yeah, so the way they do it, and they do it the same in every Dark Souls game. Basically, I don't know if you know anything about the multiplayer in that game, but like people can invade you and like fight you and stuff like the there's like a PvP online element to the game. If you decide to play online, you can turn it off if you want. But there's another element to it where people can leave little messages on the ground and they appear in your world. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, usually people just troll you like you can't write a message out manually. They give you a selection of words. Yeah, that you course. can pick from and then you construct a sentence out of it so it'll be like there are these illusory walls in the game like you hit a wall and then it just like it evaporates and you can walk through it so there are little secrets so people will often troll you and like <laughs> be like illusory wall ahead or or something and you go and hit the wall and your sword just clangs off it and it's nothing stuff like that <laughs> but basically the tutorial for dark souls you load into the game and on the ground, there are the messages that would be left by an online player. They look the same, but they're actually put there by the developer. And it just nice. says, like, use this button to roll, use this button to do this. So they, and you don't have to press them. Like, you don't have to click on them if you don't want to. But if you read them, they give you useful information. And they fit within the lore of the game. They fit within the online context. They give you a look at what the online might be. They tell you these messages can be useful. So check them out if you find them on the ground, which helps integrate the online element. It's pretty much a perfect way to do it. And as someone who hates tutorials, I don't have to fucking look at them if I don't want to. So it's, <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. And, and you then skip it on your second playthrough. Altogether. Exactly. You, yeah. there's, the tutorial area, quote unquote, is just... The opening section, which is like, they usually throw you into the deep end. They're like, here's a boss automatically. And you'll have to fight a boss like within your first five to ten minutes of gameplay. Because they're like, this is what the game's going to be like, so get used to it, basically. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic way to do a tutorial. It's a great way to expose the player to the mechanics of the game. And it's a great way to like teach them basic inputs that they need to use and it's all tied up in like the actual lore and feel of the game without taking you out of it so i think like to me that's just such it's so all like encompassing of like why those games are good to me and 
it's also just like can more games please fucking do this instead of <laughs> what, <laughs> giving me some tutorial that I'm jammed into for like 15 minutes. What's funny to me is that's almost the exact opposite of what we were just talking about, but it's just as good in the sense that it's the framing device that they've nailed by keeping it all within the logic of the world, mm-hmm. but they violated the dialogue breaking the fourth wall because if a if a corpse is like press x to jump it, like why would that thing know what the x button is or that there's an x button you know so like that's being violated which isn't wrong it just depends if you are intentionally doing it or not but all of the framing of the entire tutorial is all things that would exist and would function that way in the world so that's the the effort is still there and you can appreciate that they really thought about this and tried to make a natural kind of seamless tutorial and so it pays off in the same way whereas the previous example was the opposite where it's just the language breaking the fourth wall a little bit by accident uh is potentially a problem although only if they care right i could point out to the dev that i'm like oh you shouldn't say during an encounter at the end of the sentence because it's maybe fourth wall breaking and completely unnecessary. And they might say, oh, I don't care about that. And that's, that's you know, fair enough. But it's just my suspicion that they might not have even realized that that's the effect that they're having that makes it, you know, a thing. But anyway, all that to say that uh, I agree with what you're saying and that it's not like there's one right answer. You just want to see the effort put in and the care to kind of deliver exactly the uh, experience that they're looking to deliver, especially in the sense of writing a tutorial like that. And those decisions that you're describing are also kind of part of the writing as well, right? Like when you're talking about video game writing, a lot yeah, of, the, of course, yeah, larger decision decisions being made uh, might be, you know, made in the sense of the writing and, and how these things play out. I mean, I'm sure Miyazaki like did it all himself. I don't know. Like, uh, <laughs> he's straight up like he wrote like because uh for anyone who hasn't played dark souls like a lot of the actual lore like you don't really run into it throughout the story like they don't have cut like they'll have a cut scene but it's just to show the like here's the boss here's what he looks like it's like 10 seconds boss looks pretty cool right well you're about to fight him like that's the cut scene they don't really, they don't go through a whole bunch of lore and stuff. Like, you have to find that yourself. And the way you do that is through item descriptions, usually. You'll pick up an item and it'll be like, the Lothric Knights use this to blah, blah, blah. And you learn a little bit about the world as you, like, pick up items and stuff. If you want to. But again, you don't have to. Uh, but yeah, the point of all this is that Miyazaki, the guy who, like, he's the lead designer of the series. He, I'm, I think it was for DS1. Pretty sure it was definitely for Demon Souls, but he actually personally wrote the item descriptions for the game, which to me is like, this dude actually gives a shit about how his game's presented and like the actual like lore of the world and stuff, which I always thought was like a big part of why the games are successful. Yeah. And if it's good, it's good. And and I have nothing against like if you're a solo dev and you want to do the writing for your own game, that's totally fine. In the same way that if you want to do the music for your own game, that's fine. But you shouldn't expect the music to be good if you've never written a song before for a video game ever. Like you can do it, but you need to accept that your music's going to suck and people are going to know, especially (laughs) any kind of musician or composer. 
They're going to hear your music and be like, wow, this is a solo dev just trying music for the first time. They're going to know. And you are just out of your mind if you think people can't tell with your writing as well. With your story, with your character choices, it's it just is so obvious every step of the way. It's like I, I was like, oh, it'd be kind of cool to like try out um, making MIDI or something and like make, trying to make some MIDI for my own wads and like learning how to use like, uh, you know, like MIDI programs and stuff. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not saying he did this on purpose or that he was trying to put me off. <laughs> but talking to Rubik's, he's like, he would, he would talk sometimes about MIDI and he would be like, Sometimes you'll hear a MIDI and like he, I don't think he was necessarily saying it was bad, but to him as a musician, he would hear MIDI that was, and he would instantly be able to tell this was made by a non-musician because he'd be like, well, these chord progressions don't make sense. Like, yeah, like you just wouldn't do that with, with those chords or like, he'll be like, this person doesn't play guitar or something because like you would never do those chord progressions with an actual guitar. So I was like, well. I don't yeah, I don't want maybe I, I don't want people to listen to my <laughs> shitty MIDI and be like this guy's just making stuff up. Yeah. But he's right like even in a sense like not that it's too jazzy, you know. It's it's there's a difference between oh this is a really interesting or compelling or challenging chord progression that this person went for versus like oh that's just wrong. That's just obviously yeah. a mistake that they've made because they don't realize that they've like completely lost track of the key that they're in. You know, like there's borrowed chords sound very interesting. And then there's the wrong chord and you just mm-hmm. you just know. And it's I mean, it's in everything and it depends how much you care about it. Like, let's I'll, let's beat up on me for a little bit. Right. So I am a musician, but I'm not a digital musician. So if I were to sit down and try to make a MIDI, it probably wouldn't be very good. I, I would be shocked if it was even decent, right? Because as much as I <clears throat> I can write specific genres of songs, although I already tried and we've talked about how I think like the theme song I wrote for this, like I'm not I'm not super excited about that. I don't think I did a great job because that's not my genre. So even being a musician and just changing the task that's ahead of you, right? Like I'm not writing a sad folk song now. I'm trying to write like a podcast theme song. Like it's very different. I have no experience doing that. So it comes out worse. So having no musical ability whatsoever and trying to write the music for your game, you know, or your MIDI or whatever, it's, 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 it's just no way it's going to be good. It's not going to be good. You aren't the exception. It's going to suck. Whoever you are, don't do, spend a little bit of time trying to learn the art form. But also for this podcast, like I do all the editing for it, right? So the quote unquote sound design and I'm doing my best, but it's not something I'm well-versed in. So I'm making mistakes all the time that I don't know yet. And probably like some actual people who know what they're doing, some real audio files, if they're ever listening to this, they're probably hearing all the mistakes that I'm making. Like, oh, this isn't DS'd at all, you know? <laughs> and uh, they just know. And But that it just comes down to a decision of, uh, could we, let's say, hire someone more capable to do it? Absolutely. Are, do we think that that's worth doing? No. Almost certainly not, right? So sometimes you just make those concessions and you're aware of them, but it's, I'm not above it, you're not above it, nobody is. Anytime you do something for the first time, no matter how simple you think it's going to be, you're just going to make a shitload of mistakes and not even know what they are. I mean, I think this is why it's probably more fair to go off to like AAA, AA 
the part like devs because it's yeah, like they could hire somebody. you can fucking afford to buy like get a writer in who knows what they're doing or <laughs> or you know like exactly you know there you a lot of the time with the with the big developers it's like a time thing it's like don't crunch everyone to shit and you could probably make a, like a much better product like a lot of the time it's it's less about them hiring the wrong people and more about the higher up people forcing people to do a worse version of their work because they need to pump it out in like 12 months instead of the 36 that it should have you know yep and uh, it's Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say to, like, actually continue on the conversation. Like, uh, like I think exposition is always incredibly difficult to do. Yeah. Uh, and that goes for everything. Like, film, novels, any style of writing, exposition's always the worst part <laughs> of the writing. And it's something that, like, I think it's probably one of the, one of the elements of writing or one of the crutches of writing that even people who aren't writers are pretty aware of when it's occurring like if there's just a big block of dialogue of like hey i'm i'm like the doctor and i'm here to drive the plot in the correct direction like everyone fucking knows it's happening you know yeah and in video games it's like especially bad because a like i was saying you have to you have to tell the player what they need to do video game wise but then you also have lore that you need to integrate into the game. So you have two separate sets of exposition that need to occur in a video game, whereas in a film you usually just have one, you know. You have the plot that needs to be driven, but video games have plot and gameplay that need to be driven, and that's usually two separate sets of exposition that need to occur <laughs> if they're not adeptly woven into each other. So you end up with a lot of problems with that. I guess there are, and and like there are games that do the lore stuff incredibly well though like uh like the Mass Effect games for me like I love those stories uh and I spent just so much time like going to the citadel talking to NPCs talking to the characters on the ship to like get to know them more and like learn more about their story uh and like you can do exposition and lore dumping really well and i think people are happy to like lap it up as long as it's done in ways that don't feel like the player isn't making the choice to be exposed to that like if i'm like i want to learn more about this character and i can go and do a little side mission for them and build up my relationship with that character and you know i get rewarded for that there's still gameplay elements to it but I'm not, like, being forced to interact with a character I don't like or I'm being forced to listen to a whole bunch of lore dumping about something I don't give a shit about, um, then I think it can be a lot more palatable to do that kind of thing. I'm so glad that you brought up exposition because it's uh, the perfect example of why writing is so difficult, as you said, and it's because what you are doing will not be working but you're doing exactly what you've seen other people do, and for them it works. So you're looking at it and you're like, but what I'm doing is right. Why is it wrong? Why is it not working? And the answer is because it's not what you're doing that's wrong, it's when you're doing it. We'll just completely tank what you're trying to accomplish. And the example I love, 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 love to use is The Matrix. The Matrix is a kick-ass movie, and, uh, and we all know it, but when 
the matrix came out uh you know you hear about people watching that in theaters and it just like melting their brains right like it's it's funny stories and then it started mm-hmm. an actual like psychosis in the population where people genuinely thought they were in the matrix and needed to wake up and it was just a very effective movie right but there is a scene in the matrix that a a bad writer would probably tell you is bad exposition and another equally bad writer but for different reasons wouldn't understand why it's good exposition and they would try to copy it and they would the result would be bad exposition and that's that morpheus just sits neo down and the audience and just fucking spells it out what is the matrix what's the history how did we get here he talks about the machines he talks about like burning out the sun and he talks about the artificial uh, simulation they're all living in and some people aren't ready to wake up blah 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 like he just tells the audience what's happening Mm-hmm. And so a bad writer will be like, well, that's bad exposition because you should never just tell the audience what's happening. You know, you should let them figure it out, which sometimes is true. And then you'd have a bad writer be like, well, Morpheus just tells the player what's going on. So at the start of my game, I'll have a huge fucking five minute long scene of like, oh, in the early times, King so-and-so <laughs> did such and such. And it's just so boring and bad. Uh, And they're like, why is this wrong? It was cool in the Matrix. Why does it suck here? And the answer is because they're very careful in the Matrix, I suspect. This is I I think this is what they were going for because it works. By the time Morpheus is going to tell you what the Matrix is, you are dying to know that you're seeing like people... You see, you're seeing people like hang in the air and do crazy kung fu and like jump huge distances and like just weird stuff's happening. These agents are showing up and they have these weird abilities and we're very afraid of them for some reason. Like Trinity's kicking like SWAT team ass and she doesn't seem to care like she's a superhero. And then this guy in a suit shows up and she's terrified of him. And you're like, that's weird. And then there's all this follow the white rabbit stuff. And how do these people know these things? And it's all a big mystery movie for the first part. And there's mentions of the Matrix. And Neo's asking, like, what is the Matrix? And he's not getting a clear answer. So by the time you hit that point in the movie where Morpheus is like, do you want to know what the Matrix is? As the audience, you're like, yes, please tell me. So you're willing and excited to sit there while he just spells it out for you in the most, like, uh, uh, tell-don't-show way possible. But it's perfectly fine. That's great writing. Because they set it up for you to crave the answer to that question. So it's not off-putting when you're given it. You're like, finally, and you understand, and then the movie can take, take off from there. So it, it's all about when that is done. If the movie started with that spiel about the Matrix, then it would be, A, bad exposition, because like you don't know that you care about this stuff yet. You don't want this information right now. You haven't been enticed about it. And then also it would ruin the movie because there's no there's no mystery anymore in the early parts of this movie where you're supposed to be like, man, what's going on? I would say it's also I'd say it's it's more than that with the Matrix thing as well. I think it's also the way the scene is presented. If that scene was shot differently, it could very easily become bad exposition as well. Oh, totally. Because I think the way it's presented is you mentioned that he's telling the audience and I think it's presented so that he is presenting the option to the audience. The way they show the red pill and the blue pill in his hands from a first-person perspective, 
It's very much designed to be like, hey, like you out there, what would you do in this situation? <laughs> Which is why it became so iconic and why it became like, would you take the red pill or the blue pill, you know? Because of how it's shot and edited together and combined with the dialogue and stuff. But if you just took that scene and then <laughs> he was just telling you the story and then, I don't know, it was presented in a different way, they're just standing there stagnantly or something and he just asked him, then I think it could very easily like transition into being bad exposition again. I don't think it would ever reach bad exposition, but it would definitely be like less interesting and potentially also like just harder to follow without all the visual aids and whatnot. And yeah, you're right. It's, it's a big cohesive piece of art that is incredibly effective. It's an excellent movie. And uh, yeah, all these little bits come together to make the whole work really well. But I think I don't think the exposition could ever be bad just because you really want that information when you get there. And the reason people don't like exposition or at least claim to not like it is that you're like telling me stuff I don't care about or telling me stuff that I don't need to know and wasting my time. Well, yeah, it's the time wasting element. Really? It's like, yeah. well, why am I sitting here just listening to this guy? But it's also it can feel lazy. It can feel like, well, you didn't go do a good enough job showing me what was going on, so now you've got to, like, wedge in this paragraph. Like, it feels like you came in at the end like, ah, shit, it's not really clear that, like, they're in the Matrix. We better have fucking Morpheus, like, sit near it down and, like, tell him what it is. <laughs> you know, like... Oh, totally. Totally. A lot of the time, that's why it can feel bad. But I think the other thing to speak about the way it's built up in the Matrix is Morpheus is also... He's given the authority... Like, his authority is built up throughout the film mm -hmm. so that you want to listen to what he has to say because he's the one who's meant to know everything. So I think that also helps. It helps to have your character, like, the characters be interesting before they try to make the plot interesting, I guess, if that makes sense. Because, like, if you just bring... It's like, hey, Doc, get in here and tell him about the serum or whatever, and it's just some <laughs> random fucking guy... <laughs> Who you've never seen before. It's like, well, why am I listening to this dude? You just, like, pulled him out of here. I don't care about this guy. Like, what is he going to tell me? So, you know, like, I think a lot of the time structuring it around your characters that the peep that you that people already like and want to listen to, I think that can help a lot. Absolutely, yeah. It's a hugely multifaceted thing. All these moving parts come together. And it's definitely uh, important that, yeah, m we're we're told several times as the movie's going on that like, you know, like Morpheus's name comes up and it's like, I want to meet Morpheus, you know? And it's like, well, you you know, can't meet Morpheus yet. You know, like, it's just, he's, he's kind of this thing of legend. And then, uh, yeah, he really is presented as someone who has all the answers. Like he's seen behind the curtain. So I think that plays a larger role in like trusting the information that you're being given. Right. I think you're already interested in wanting to know, but it, that really does play a part in like, OK, yeah, this is the authority figure. This is the real scoop. And that's another element to it altogether. But I just think it's the interesting thing to me is that it would be so easy to just see that scene in the Matrix and be like, oh, it's OK to just do a massive exposition dump where you literally tell the character exactly what's happening. And it's like that is a really risky thing to do. And it's easy to miss some of and there are more reasons as you've said but it's easy to miss some of the more important reasons about why that they get away with that in the matrix when they're technically breaking a rule 
about telling and not showing you know the other problem with exposition is is usually they will build like a lot of the time in tv shows and movies and things they build a character in who's the exposition character and it I think it makes a lot of people just tune out when that character starts fucking speaking because <laughs> it's like, oh, here comes fucking Joey Exposition. Or like, give me the rundown on what like the next few sequences are going to be about. Like, uh, Final Fantasy fourteen, for instance, it suffers from it like a decent amount because, uh, like, I mean, I guess you have like they have to explain all these like high fantasy concepts and stuff within that world and. It's stuff that they built up over the course of like a million different games that they're then reusing, but then they have to re-explain to people who are new to the series. And there's a lot of reasons why they need a lot of exposition. And they have this one character who they always pull out to do the exposition. And like by the like fifth expansion or whatever, I was like, I never want to hear this man talk again. (laughs) (laughs) He also talks in like a real pseudo Shakespearean way. I hate that shit. And it just makes me like stop it. I just tune out immediately. Take it out of games. That's uh, my question would be like how often when they're delivering exposition to you in this Final Fantasy game, how long are Mm -hmm. you like really craving that information? Oh some sometimes a lot. The main undercurrent of that of the story in that game is actually fucking really good. Like, so are you as bothered when somebody's explaining that exposition to you when you've been waiting for the answer? I feel well, I feel like this character in particular <laughs> like never has any <laughs> I wanna hear. It's usually I, like the villains in the game who are giving you the interesting exposition, I feel like. I think that's but, the crux that, of it. I think it's what you want to know i really think that you run into the biggest issues when you're telling me something before i've asked the question i will say that that game does it does exposition exceedingly well sometimes as well because like you say uh because it's an mmo like the the running story for that game goes over what is it like i don't know one two three it's like four separate expansions for this game which is I mean, it's in its 10th anniversary, so they ended the run of this particular storyline after, like, 9 or 10 years. So people waited (laughs) 9 to 10 years for the payoff for this storyline. I came in much later, so, like, I didn't really have that experience, but it's it's an MMO, so the story's huge. Like, it takes a really long time to get through, like, hundreds of hours to get through the story. Uh, and there were parts where, like, I was so ready to hear an exposition dump. Like, that's all I wanted the character to do. <laughs> because you're like, they have this really interesting world and, like, these characters and this, like, ancient world that you're learning about throughout the game. And there's, like, all these mysterious characters. and like, oh, who's this guy then? Like, who's this meant to be? Like, because they're from different time periods and stuff. And, and so, like, when they had a big cutscene... Because sometimes you'll have a cutscene and they will. There's a little <laughs> dialogue box that pops up and warns you, this cutscene is like going to be really fucking long. So like, do whatever you need to do before you start this quest because it's a big one. And then I would just be sitting there and the guy's like, "Now I'll tell you." Well, like I don't know. The, the writing's pretty good, so they won't actually like lead into like a big lame exposition dump or whatever. But you'll be like, "Now I'm actually going to tell you about this thing you've been waiting to learn about." And I'm just sitting back in my chair like, "Fuck yeah." Like, tell me about it (laughs) for a really long time. So I think there's definitely examples of, like, great exposition in video games just because you're waiting for it so much. Yeah. But it's few and far between. 
Oh, for sure. But that to me, as, as far as I'm concerned, that's the most important ingredient and the one that's easiest to fuck up is you have to act, put in the work to actually get your player asking those questions, even if they don't realize they're asking them, and then you answer them and they'll listen. And it could go back A hundred percent, that is it. Yeah, yeah, like the player needs to be wondering about this stuff already. And that's why I think you're right about the exposition dumping right at the beginning of the game I hate is that almost shit. always a huge mistake because <laughs> I don't care yet. Like, rope yeah. me in a little bit first and then, and then you know, I'll listen to fucking... Urianje, who's the this is the character in Final Fantasy. I'll listen to this idiot for a while. Like, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to know yet, and you don't need to know. Like, can we get off our fucking horse for a second with our game story? The player doesn't need just a regular size horse to know. Yeah, <laughs> not a high. <laughs> not a, no, 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 no. We're not being like more moral about it. You know, sanctimonious. <laughs> but it's just like. I'm not going to start playing your game and be like, okay, it's cool that I've got a sword or whatever and I'm on this quest, but like, I just need to know what fucking kingdom was ruling the land before this one. Like, it's just, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. So I don't need to know. So your only option left is what, when I want to know and you need to make me want to know, don't just tell me or it drives me absolutely insane. And I think it like, this can be traced back to childhood where like, Remember being a kid and your parents would be like trying to tell you stuff, trying to teach you stuff, water off a duck. Like none of that is making it <laughs> to you. But once you wonder something and you ask your parents a question, they'll give you an answer and you'll listen. And then you'll ask another question and you're learning from them. And like parents get well, frustrated. Well, it's the same that they thing can't. with teaching. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You need to. It's just how our brains work is we're not going to take in information that we don't have an interest in. Right, you you need to want to know it's it. It's like when I, like in the kitchen when I used to teach apprentices, I usually would try to get them to do something first. I'd be like, hey, like make me like, you know, like a salad dressing or like make me this, and then like see, and then I would get them to taste it, and then I'd be like, okay, like what's wrong with it? Like what do you think is wrong? What's missing from it? Does it taste okay to you? And then I would taste it, and I would tell them like what I thought was missing and stuff from it. And I think it becomes like they're invested in it now because they've like they've done something, they've created something, and then I can use that as like a teachable moment as opposed to me just rattling off this is the correct way to do this, blah blah blah. And it's sort of the same thing of like get the player invested first by having them do things that they feel like have made them part of the world and then they'll be invested in the world and actually be ready to listen to like what you're going to tell them. Yeah. Like have me, you know, encounter the villain and he fucks me up and have me be like, who, who the fuck is that guy? Like what's going on here? Like what, what the hell just happened? Oh, that's and, actually leads me, me into a, a great thing. Like another thing that I fucking hate in games is uh -oh. when your character is really powerful, right? And then they need to introduce the big villain. And then they come in and whoop your ass in a cutscene out of nowhere. And, like, <laughs> there's no build-up of, like, this other guy's really strong. And, like, I should be afraid of them. They just come in and they, like, they don't look particularly powerful, but they just obliterate you. Or they beat up another character who's meant to be really powerful just to show that this character is powerful. Yeah, they wharf them. I hate that. It's terrible. Like... 
The opposite <laughs> end of that is when you've been hearing stories about a character for the whole game. And it's like, this guy's so powerful. He did this and he did this. And you hear about their feats. Like he's like a historical character or something. And then you finally get to meet them and they live up to the expectations. That's like the opposite end. Very positive payoff for me. That's interesting. I don't, I don't share that concern. I kind of look at it like, yeah, that character showing up and warfing some other dude or kicking your ass is the the point that the game is communicating to you that this person is really powerful i yeah, think but i problems... see that as cheap i see it as lame sure. cheap quick and dirty writing is That's why i don't like it totally yeah I, you're entitled to that opinion and i totally see where you're coming from um i'm not personally bothered by yeah let me give you the perfect example jurassic park 3 they have the spinosaurus who's the new big dinosaur <laughs> he comes in and fights the t-rex and he kills the t-rex yeah and that's how they show here's the new big bad monster in town or whatever i'm fine with that huge a it's lazy writing it's shit is it b it's not accurate at all based on paleontological discoveries <laughs> i don't that's and that's c, not a conversation I it's can have with damaging you. to their marketing because they're killing their mascot for the fucking <laughs> franchise which is just idiotic so on all three fronts terrible scientifically inaccurate lazy writing <laughs> terrible for brand and marketing okay i don't share any of those opinions but i i respect them i respect you for well them. the scientific one you have to share because it's just correct I the Spinosaurus, they've proven that it couldn't, it didn't even stand on its hind legs like that to walk around. It would have like mostly kept down lower to the ground. It would have been like an animal that stayed in water, uh, for most of its life, like a hippopotamus or something. And the sail, you know, was for like regulating its body temperature and stuff. And it would have just eaten fish mostly. There's also a point where the T-Rex gets its <laughs> mouth around the neck of the Spinosaurus. T-Rex has the strongest bite force of any animal it would have killed it instantly in that moment it was dead to rights okay i'm just saying okay if, when i make my true. spinosaurus versus t-rex 3d uh rendering you guys will see <laughs> the true the truth of the matter if that information as it's been relayed to me is accurate then i would i would see your point and i i trust it it's is. accurate i've done I was not qualified to comment i I loved it. dinosaurs as a kid, and it's really translated into my adult life. I, like, follow all these paleontologists and, like, paleontological artists on, on Twitter and stuff, and I fucking, I love dinosaurs, man. Wow. That's super boring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Dinosaurs are cool as shit. That's awesome. I, um, yeah, I don't share your opinion as far as, like, the warfing scenario goes. I'm totally fine with it. I think it's just one tool in the toolbox. Um, but if, yeah, if you're, if you have a distaste for it, then that's your, it's, you have every right to, I think the only problem with the warfing comes up when they're doing it so often that that character doesn't feel strong anymore. You know, like, all don't those... you think it's super lazy though? Like, don't, I hate anything where I watch it and I know it's a writing tool. I hate it. I hate it all the time in, mm. in, in every instance where I'm like, Okay, that's in there because they need to do this. Like, I mean, okay, maybe hate's a little strong. Sometimes I understand that, like, mechanically stuff has to be there. Yeah. But, like, it still takes me out of the experience as soon as I know it's, like, 
put in there deliberately as a plot device. No, nah, I can't I can't come on your side on that. And I think it just comes down to like there's only so many ways to communicate that a character is like not to be fucked with and like way too powerful. And like why why just give up one of those methods? Cuz if if every movie was doing the slow build up and everyone's talking about how strong this guy is and then he shows up and he's strong, you might start thinking that's lazy. You're like, "Oh, here we go. We're doing the thing where everyone just says he's really strong." And then he shows up and, yep, he's really strong. There's no surprise. There's no subversion of my expectations. It's just kind of what you're sick of seeing, I guess. But something like I'm just more of the opinion that like, yeah, some things aren't the most inspiring thing, but like, holy crap, they're effective. Like as an extreme example, this is so extreme that I'm not even sure I agree with this one, but it's, uh -oh. it sums up the point nicely. And it's the... uh uh the the family eating breakfast in the morning scene and like any movie like mm -hmm. if if anything's lazy that's lazy because it's in every fucking movie like any kind and they'll of be like movie. hey son or like hey joey hey jemima good morning dad hey mom like and then they're just like let's establish all the character relationships in like a three minute window exactly yeah it's like oh honey i made breakfast no time late for work just grabs the coffee and leaves like it's it's all the same thing every single time puts toast in mouth walks out the door like yeah exactly but like but it works so like if it's not important if this isn't your favorite scene in the movie but you're like i just need to establish the character relationships and like set up where everybody's going to be today for like the rest of the movie then like why not just pop, pop that scene in and you get it all done in like 45 seconds right so that that one is so bland that even i'm like oh i'm sick of seeing that but i just think that sometimes it's just that is the best tool for the job and i'm just not going to be like pissed at you if you're doing it you know um especially since if we just spent enough time without seeing that scene then it would be like a really good scene again where it just like works you know it's just it's just because of the overexposure that it's yeah. bad and that starts to feel like bias maybe but i mean yeah like you can't get absolutely irate about every uh yeah mechanic element, or you would never be able to watch it and anything like ever again <laughs> but there are just there are things where they just immediately take me out and and one yeah. of them is definitely there are ways to do the character is strong and he beats up your character thing in in a different way sure where it's not as abrupt and doesn't feel as forced but i just see it a lot and it's annoying oh yeah no that's totally fair and definitely like you know if i'm watching star trek the next generation and somebody kicks Worf's ass i'm not like oh man that's strong that guy's strong i'm just like yeah Worf's kind of a huge pushover <laughs> anyone can beat up Worf. <laughs> you know i uh knock picard over then i'll respect i him. haven't i haven't watched star trek what? i'm sorry okay uh it's uh it's a mixed bag but when it's good holy crap it's really really good um you mentioned wow, something so boring uh, you mentioned something i want to rant about i think you'll join oh me. it's very exciting uh that shakespearean character oh. <laughs> right one of another bad one of my pet peeves, bad shakespearean dialogue another one of my pet peeves is when a writer is not able to establish differences in characters just like with good writing so instead they just give them overtly different speaking patterns i am so that to me is very lazy that's something that like the alarm bells go off and i'm like you have a lot of work to do to win me over now right well like in dialogue or like dialogue based games where they uh 
they will try to make like a random character British by putting a bunch of apostrophes in front of every <laughs> fucking vowel. And they're like, hello, love. How you been? And it's oh, like yeah. every part of me like recoils. Yeah, it's so like in I'll just we'll beat up a little bit on Bug Fables again. I'll remind everybody that very effective game. They they accomplish exactly what they were going for design wise. Good for them. Uh, as far as the writing goes, I think it leaves a lot to be desired. But one of them is like, yeah, the there's the of the three main characters, the one guy. I'll be exaggerating a little bit, but he's sort of a verily we will get it done for you. You know, like he's mm-hmm. just using like old, like yeah, I don't think he's saying the, but like he's using very kind of posh fancy language and then you have a character that when they're talking about themselves they say we they're like we don't feel very good and then you Uh which makes sense but it's like you know it's also being used as a way to differentiate them and then you have like the third character that speaks completely differently where she's kind of just like very uh scrappy and, and speaks in very plain language and it's just like you don't need to do that you can sometimes you have a good reason to or you have one character who speaks differently and it's like fun but i see it too often where they try to have everybody speak in a completely distinct way in the main cast and to me it feels like they're scared that everybody's gonna sound samey otherwise or they don't actually know what's different about these characters so they're gonna cheat a little bit and when you see that too often it rubs you the wrong way and it's disappointing too because like they did a decent enough job in Bug Fables about who the characters are and what they're like, and they're different. They didn't need to do this. So it just kind of throws me off, and, and they're they're into this uphill battle now to win me back over because I'm just turned off that this guy's saying, like, verily. I don't know if he actually ever says verily, but, like, he has that vibe about him. Well, the other thing is, like, when it's not consistent. Like, when when the person clearly knows, like, three shakespearean like middle english <laughs> words and like they know thee and thou but they don't really know like how to use them like when they're contextually appropriate and they'll just like the character will be using them incorrectly all the time yeah uh, like that kind of shit is just annoying it's like just if you don't know how to do it either research it or don't bother doing it because you just made that character unbearable to hear from it's it's distracting and sometimes they'll have like a surface level justification for it well they'll be like no no no. everybody from that area of the village or the land or whatever talks like that and he's from there so that's why he talks like that and it's like that's that's fine i'm not saying that's illogical but i just don't see what that's adding to the game at all it feels like that's there so that you can make your characters have different quote-unquote voices by just having mm-hmm. them use different words or like oh man you're playing like uh like the like zero escape the nonary games i was playing this like english translation pc port for it or something which apparently is really bad but like <laughs> you'll just get to the point of like this is the character who says hell a lot like oh that's God. that's how he talks is anything have what the hell what the hell are you talking about what the hell is your problem and like that's his character. They, well, this is the British character again, who just says "bloody" all the time. It's the <laughs> yeah. only like phrase that a, this American person knows that British people say. They'll be like "bloody hell!" <laughs> Can't believe this has happened. <laughs> it's and so it's distracting. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure this guy's not British. 
Yeah, or they want like a character to be rough around the edges, and instead of doing that in a way that feels like, oh, this character has depth, and you know they're having a rough go, so they're a little bit off uh, or standoffish. They just have them be pissed all the time, like all the time. Yeah, I hate that too. I fucking hate that because it's like, and and the problem is that this character will always be like they're meant to have like. They'll have the same redemption arc that these types of characters always have, you know, where it's like, oh, well, they're, they're lovely on the inside, really, or whatever, you know, like, they, they show that they care about this other character, and it's like, well, sure, but they're, like, still the most abrasive person <laughs> ever to be around, oh, and it's man. just, like, not worthwhile spending any time with them, so... I also feel like there's always some JRPG character that's, like, a small woman, and she's always like, oh, I don't know, should I... I don't know, yeah. you know, and it's like, that's her character. She just or fucking she looks like a child, but she's a 9,000 year old vampire. Oh, I'm so fucking sick of that. <laughs> yeah. It's just that like, one's, uh, another common trip. I hate that shit. Like, it's not your idea. Like, it's been done. Don't do that. It's done. It's like the biggest cliche ever. Write your own characters. That kind of thing. Just to go off, um, just to beat up on the nonary games a little more. Which I'm not even trying, like, remember, writing is an incredibly complex thing. So you've got, like, your, your narrative design. You've got your actually, like, what happens and why. And then you have your characters who are participating in that. And are they interesting, believable characters? Do they behave consistently? And then you have, it's like... It's so hard, dude. It's so hard. <laughs> and then you have, when they're talking to each other, like, is the dialogue clear? Is it concise? Is it representing their characters properly? Et cetera, et cetera. So it's incredibly difficult and even really good. I mean, you've gotten a, you've seen a movie in a theater written by a professional writer and they uh, fucked up and did a horrible job and it's a bad script, right? Like it's, it's so hard. Even the pros really, really struggle with it. So yeah, mistakes happen, but there's a hilarious scene. Uh, all that to say that like there's value in some of the aspects of the writing and this like English translation of the zero escape nonary games game. Uh, but like, holy shit, the dialogue has issues. And there's a scene where like the crux of the game is they're on this cruise ship that is, I, I think it's like rigged to explode or like fill with poison gas. I can't remember what the like MacGuffin is, but they're all going to die in a certain number of hours if they don't solve all the escape room puzzles and escape. Right. So it should be like fucking tense and people are going to die and there's also like, I think just like traps around so you could die while you're trying to get out in time because you didn't solve a puzzle properly or something. I'm iffy on the details, but the point is it's like fucking morbid and scary and like, holy shit, we got to get out of here. And then they'll have scenes where it's like, we, we got to take this elevator, uh, you know, up to this floor and I'll go with this girl and we'll take the elevator up. And then they'll just they're just making like weird fucking sexual innuendo jokes in the dialogue where they have like a really prolonged conversation where the the girl thinks they're talking about like can they escape through this elevator or is the bottom floor flooded and the guy thinks they're having a conversation about like having sex with each other or something yeah. like that and then it it's it been, goes on for Oh, a million times. It just, it's like in new girl. Oh, are they talking about getting a popcorn machine or are they talking about cleaning uh their vag you know like what <laughs> just it's been done a million different ways but you're just like the the length of time that this conversation goes on for it's a very little payoff because the jokes are bad and you just you're sitting there like 
these two characters would not be having this conversation right now. This is fucking insane. They should be scared <laughs> and downtrodden. And like, it's just, it's weird that this dude is so horned up right now that he's having these thoughts. And then we're, it, I and do it's think just, ugh. ugh. On that topic, I do think also that the way characters react to things is one of the hardest things that, or at least it's one of the things I think has done the worst in writing, in video games, movies, everything. The consistency with which a character reacts to stimulus throughout a series. Like, they're horrified by this happening, but then they're okay with this thing happening, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, in a video game, they might, like, be totally okay with, like, you know some amount of violence in this context but then they're really horrified when this happens or like this person dies and they don't really give a shit but then this person dies and they and they care a lot and there's no difference in the amount of like the relationship between their character and the two people that died but their reactions are totally different for instance i feel like that's something that happens a lot and and always annoys me <laughs> because it's like we'll just write your character like more consistently like why is he not scared right now for instance in this context but then he is in another one yeah it's hard and and sometimes there's like do you need to be representing character growth and that's why it's different or you know are they you're just they're just acclimating to this or it's not as jarring this time because they had that first experience and it was really jarring or as you're writing the scene you just need someone to react this way for the logic of the scene to make sense and shit the only character here is this character and they wouldn't react that way but you you can't find another way out so you just have them react that way and you bite the bullet on it and like it's just such a huge mess it's so hard to do and it's all the more reason that like if you're a solo indie dev and you want to make your game and you want there to be characters and story and plot and such in your narrative heavy game don't do it yourself or accept that it's gonna be awful if you do it yourself you know <laughs> at it's least send you. it to a friend to edit or something you know yeah a friend who writes <laughs> yeah <laughs> someone who knows try to respect it even a second set of eyes if they don't write it's probably better yeah than just nothing you respect it in the way that you would respect the art. Like you wouldn't do the art because you know it would be bad because you've never done art before or the music or the programming, you know, like just it's it's no less complex than those things. And it's no less obvious and jarring when it's done really poorly. I did. I did just want to quickly touch on one of I guess one of the overarching themes is like wasting the player's time. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is always like a real pain in the ass in terms of uh, dialogue. and. Again, back to Final Fantasy, because it's an MMO, it's, like, very guilty of that in a lot of scenarios. Like, has a has a good story for, for an MMO. From what I've heard, most MMOs, like, have barely any story, and they're pretty garbage, but Final Fantasy actually has, like, a, a pretty good story with, like, a very good payoff at the end. Uh, but it it's really guilty of, like, you'll do, <laughs> you'll do, like, a quest, and it will just straight up be, like, hey, I need you to go talk to this guy. And you're straight up just talking to these people to talk to them. Like, that's the quest. You talk to the person. They tell <laughs> really? you, like, something small. You might have to do, like, a very small thing for them. And then you go back and you, they'll send you back to talk to someone else. And then you have to go back and talk to somebody else, you know? And it's just dialogue for the sake of dialogue. And you're just 
filling up time in order to like pad the length out of the game and that is like the absolute worst case scenario (laughs) for dialogue yeah like when you're sitting down and you're selling the elevator pitch of your game like what do you think is fun about what the player is doing most of the time and then like why are we trying to break that up with the longest stretches possible of not doing the fun thing in the game and like just unnecessary dialogue is the worst for that it's just and so don't brutal. get you know what i'm gonna put this out there as a psa don't get meta with your dialogue unless <laughs> it's like a really intrinsic to the style of of the writing and you're really good at it and you understand how to do it well because it's so cringy and it's so bad and it takes you completely out of the world and the environment when like people can see that the writer is like adding in their own little two cents you know it's terrible don't do it (laughs) i'm having i'm reminding myself of a realization like i knew this going into it but it's just funnier in context now that like the game i'm making this month is uh ended up in the latest stages becoming basically like a collection of poetry that you play through and i even today like i still don't know how it's going to look as a finished project i i i don't think it's going to work very well at all but it involves having to write a lot of poetry for it and that is not something i do so <laughs> i'm sitting here like man i need a lot of poems for this and I am, like, by any measure, not a good poet. So here I am making the mistake of... Because I can't hire a poet for it, right? It's just not going to happen. And so I'm making the mistake of, oh, I'll just do it myself instead of getting someone who's good at that to do it. But I'm going to try my... It's not like I've never written poetry before, and I'm going to try my absolute damnedest. But I am aware the whole time that, like, man, this is going to be rough around the edges, and it would be a lot better if an actual poet did it. And actually I even went to the point of uh, like, I have a poetry consultant who is fantastic and I'm just sending her stuff and she's helping out a lot. And it's incredible what she can do in like 10 seconds. She'll just skim something and be like, Oh, you should change. Don't cut this word and you don't need this stanza and you need change this line break from this to this. And that's a lot stronger. And she's just right. Um, And so that's like me trying to like do at least something, walk the walk a little bit, but that all is to say that like you're gonna find yourself in situations where you just have to do something the best that you can but i just think that you have to put the effort in acknowledge that what you're doing is going to be hard and actually try to learn how to do it better don't just sit down with your story for your game for instance and you're like i've seen a story before i'll just write one it'll be fine because it's never going to be fine and uh I guess I'm just saying that to acknowledge that otherwise I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't. I do think sometimes you just have to do shit badly. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, with making wads and stuff, it's like, I didn't know how to do a lot of the stuff that I wanted to do uh, initially, and I just had to, like, learn by doing. And, And if that ended up in the finished product, so be it. Like, I just had to do... I had to do certain things badly, but I I suppose in in the context for you, it's like, it's more about 
maybe don't try to do stuff that you're you have no intention of ever getting good enough at to do at a commercial level if you're putting it in a commercial product right yeah it's it's really just about not having the wrong expectations like don't don't act all offended and surprised when people say your writing isn't good when it's the first script you've ever written you know for a game or otherwise, because you see that all the time. People are like, this is my first script, what do you think? And when people are like, this is really not good, and here are all of the reasons why that like everyone here will agree with, and then the people will like, delete their post from Reddit and go hide and cry. And it's like, what, what did you expect? Why does everyone think that their first try at something is going to be any good at all? So if you're a solo dev and you want to do everything yourself because it's your art and it'll be fun that way, that's great. That's absolutely great. But if you're going to, you know, sell your game commercially or you want it to be the most effective product possible or, or piece of art possible, then you just can't be surprised if the thing you never learned how to do properly isn't done properly. And you certainly don't get to get all mad and upset about it when people don't don't like it. If you don't know if you don't spend four years minimum you know, that's an exaggeration. If let's say two years minimum, <laughs> ten years, <laughs> learning how to code your small game before you do it, then the code's gonna be dog shit, and people are gonna point that out to you. You know, this is true about me too. Like my code's pretty dog shit. People will point that out, and it's like, yeah, they're right. It's not very good, right? Same's gonna go for your music and your art and your writing. So it's it's really just when people do it themselves, and then they expect it to be really good, and then they're like not taking the feedback that it's bad and acting like you know or just not having respect for the art form these things are hard go if you have the budget pay somebody who's passionate about that thing music art writing whatever and they're good at that thing have them do it rather than just assume you can figure skate yourself without ever having put a pair of skates on like it's just that's that's what bothers me is the attitude i think about it Okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, no, I I mean, I would say overall I agree. I, I mean, I can definitely understand, like, indie devs who they don't have the money to pay someone and they don't have the time to learn it to a level that it's good enough and maybe they don't have the people around them to, like, help them to check this stuff. Like, there's scenarios where it's, it's just impossible uh, for these people to, like, get the resources in place to do it and they just... They need to get it out. Like when I made uh, the like an evening with Nirvana, there's a, I mean the audio is horrible for a lot of the episodes. Had a lot of problems with that. I had to learn how to video edit. I had to learn how to do a lot of stuff that I didn't know how to do before. Mm -hmm. But it was like I had this idea for like years, and I just needed to do it. I was like, fuck it, I'm just gonna buy a mic and do it, even if the end product isn't perfect. I just have to do this thing. So I have a you know I have a lot of respect personally for for indie devs who are just like i need to do this thing and i'm gonna get it out as a finished product even if i can't get it to be 100 percent perfect uh so i totally understand that but but yeah Absolutely. like if you have the resources available to you use them and like personally like for my job and whenever i get in to do anything that i'm passionate about i always do as much research as is necessary to do like the best possible job I can with something. Uh, so I, I guess I just always implore people to actually put in the legwork and like look into how to do something as well as you possibly can. 
uh, at the very least. Um, Definitely. And, you know, if you release a subpar product, at least be willing to update it. <laughs> Correct the fucking apostrophes, all right? <laughs> Possessives have apostrophes. Plurals don't have apostrophes unless it's a plural possessive. I'm just putting that out there for the world. Uh, utilize it. I mean, words to live by, for sure. Yeah, I agree completely. Definitely. Yeah. If and you, cut. If, as, and uh, cut. 